I'm Joel Parker. And I'm Susan Moran. This is KGNU's How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. Today is Tuesday, March 19th, 2013. Coming up, how have we evolved to become us? We'll find the latest answers from Neil Shubin, author of the new bestseller, The Universe Within. It's about how the rocks on Mars and elements from the Big Bang are found in the bodies we inhabit. We begin at the look at some of the recent news in science. For fans of Denver's Café Scientifique, tonight there'll be a discussion about the troubling rise of drug-resistant tuberculosis cases. The speaker will be Michael Eisman, professor of medicine at the CU School of Medicine and National Jewish Health. The talk is titled, Eliminate TB? We Should Have Reread Darwin First. The Denver Café Sci is free and open to the public. It's held at Denver's Wincoop Brewery and starts at 6 p.m. And we have here in the studio for our spring pledge drive members of How on Earth, past and present. In addition to myself and Susan, we have Jim Pullen running the board. We have Shelley Schlender, and we have special guest from the past, Chip. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, I'm Chip Granditz. I'm from the past. I'm not from the very, very distant <laughs> past. Not from the time or of from the Big the Bang. Or from the future yet. <laughs> or from the future. You know, it's interesting. Um, uh, about 12 years ago, I did a uh, very interesting if somewhat somber interview with a woman named Lori Garrett, a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist from Newsday, and she had uh, written a book called The Collapse of Public Health, where she warned about the uh, evolution of vancomycin-resistant tuberculosis in the Russian prison system, and uh, unfortunately, it looks like some of her warnings may, may come to pass, and, and as the science show continues to evolve through the decades, we continue to cover the science stories from year to year and from decade to decade. We do, and the cover and the topics are so diverse. I mean, I don't cover astronomy. We've got Joel, an expert himself, astrophysicist. We've got everything from astronomy to tuberculosis to climate change to technology in your house. And and uh, we we do cover a lot of these health topics and many others. I can't help but think that if TB started being drug resistant in the Russian prison system. That's where all the big asteroids hit, too. You know, it's an interesting thing. We should look at the science of why does it always happen in Russia. But you can help us look at science by calling us here at 303-449-4885. And you have such an incredible number of great books to call and and get as your thank you. We have so many books from science shows that we've done this year that we could start a bookstore about science. They're really tremendous. Well, Susan, can you tell us some of the books before we get to this great interview with this brand new book, The Universe Within with Neil Shubin? What, what do you see there? Well, as you say, we've got a whole stack of them, uh, starting with one called Pandora's Lunchbox, How Processed Food Took Over the American Meal by Melanie Warner. She's a local business journalist who just came out with this book. I interviewed her her here on the show last week. Um, And the book started with uh, just her exploration of leaving food way beyond its expiration date in the kitchen and what does this mean for her, for her kids, and found all sorts of things, not just about the food, but um, the business of processed food. And we've got one sort of along those lines called The Fat Switch, Learn What Causes Obesity and Simple Methods to Fight It. That happens to be from a scientist at CU 
Denver Medical School. A great scientist, very controversial theories he has there. And that's another book that you can get for a $60 pledge at 303-449-4885. We have a great number of books. And you want to call early to get your copy reserved. But let's keep going and tell what we've got here. Well, we also have from Brian Green, The Hidden Reality. If you remember, we interviewed him on this show talking about parallel universes, multiverses, hidden past, present, and future. You can get that book if you call in at 303-449-4885 and pledge a membership. That book you can get for a $40 pledge. That's a special offer for your hidden universes. Whereas for uh, Pandora's Lunchbox, we actually have signed copies, and they're quite recent. So those are for a minimum of $60 pledge. And if what you like is something more poetic and more evocative, we also have Facing the Wave, A Journey in the Wake of the Tsunami, about what happened in Japan. It's a fantastic book and very thoughtful, very much on the scene that our How on Earth producer Beth Bartell did. Just last week. Yes, so this is a it's a great combination of different books that we have here for you by calling us here at 303-449-4885. You're the one that makes it possible for us to have a science show. Give us your support. All these books are like a review of How on Earth shows from the recent past, and you can enjoy them again and again just by calling in and doing your pledge, 303 449 or securely online at kgnu.org. A little bit of cross-show promotion here, but yesterday on Metro, uh, we talked with Tom Wilbur about under-the-surface fracking fortunes fortunes and the fate of the Marcellus Shale. Fracking is a subject that we've covered here on How on Earth, and we cover on the news and public affairs programming here on KGNU. 303-449-4885. And, of course, uh, the feature book for the show today is The Universe Within, Neil Shubin. Perhaps you've seen him on TV or other radio programs. He's been making the rounds. Uh, Previously, he had been an author of the book Your Inner Fish. Uh, The interesting concept from The Universe Within, we are stardust. Um, They're old song lyrics that a Tuesday morning KGNU listener might be more likely to contemplate uh, at 9 o'clock when Alan Watts comes on, but... Today on How on Earth, we will contemplate those words as scientific fact. Um, And we're able to take such a monumental scientific endeavor this morning with the help of Neil Shubin. He's a professor of paleontology and evolutionary biology at the University of Chicago. Um, And his book, The Universe Within, is about discovering the common history of rocks and planets and people. the book is less than 200 pages. He covers an incredible amount of ground, starting with the Big Bang, touching upon the formation of our solar system, the formation of our planet, the fall and rise of the dinosaurs, and the drift of the continents through the ages, are all factors he considers in what makes us human in a very physical and scientific sense. With such a broad scope, I had to start by asking him what was the common thread that bound together the ten chapters of the book. The common thread to these diverse themes is history. I mean, history, when you, when you see it, when you know it, it begins to change the way you see the world around you. It changes mm-hmm. the present. The present becomes altered. Mm-hmm. To understand history, whether it's our bodies or planets or rocks or solar system, really is, involves integrating different disciplines, different ologies, you mm-hmm. know, cosmology, geology, biology, paleontology. So all these different branches of science come together 
uh, when we begin to ask the big unifying themes, the big questions about the history of life, the history of our bodies, the history of our planet. Because no one scientific discipline uh, has a monopoly on those answers. Those answers lie in the interface uh, of those disciplines. And to me, that was the exciting part about writing the book, actually. Well, that's interesting. I mean, sometimes I think people think of history as being something as an alternative to science. I'm reminded, uh, if you go to the, the CU campus here in Boulder, Colorado, on the back of the Norland Library, facing out toward, uh, toward, toward the quad, is uh, inscripted on the building, uh, he who knows only his own generation remains forever a child. And this is, I, I thought of this idea when I was reading your book, because when you grow up as a kid, there's a lot of things around you that you think are going to always be the way they are. The department store down the street, it's always been there. It will always be there. Phones are something that are in the kitchen, uh, mounted on the wall, and they have a dial, and the cord is about 15 feet and reaches the kitchen table. And you slowly begin to find, as you get older and older, that things that you thought of were always the same actually are not. Yeah, and it gives you, history gives you a whole new perspective on the present. It teaches you that the present is just really a special case. Mm -hmm. um, when we think about our planet, you know, ice at the poles, right? We take that for granted. That's the planet, that's planet Earth. Mm -hmm. Well, no, most of the history of planet Earth is without ice at the poles. Um, we think of life and the diversity of life, but really most of the history of life uh, is without multicellular animals. It's single-celled microbes. Mm -hmm. And most of the history of life of multicellular animals was in the oceans, not on land. So when you think about the history of our planet, what we're dealing with today, what we're all familiar with, is a special case, mm -hmm. is unusual. You know, it's remarkable in that way. And so, you know, seeing history gives you that perspective. It also provides answers or approaches to the answers of why. Why do we look the way they do? Why does the planet look the way it does and so forth? And in today's interview, we won't be able to go through the entire history of the universe, but we'll take a couple of smatterings. And I guess as the uh, Red Queen said to Alice, uh, begin at the beginning. Uh, well, right. So uh, let's start with uh, the very beginning of the cosmos and some of the things that happened very early on in the beginning of the universe that affects present day. Well, when you think about, you know, the beginning of the universe, say, at the Big Bang, where, you know, there's a single hot point of high energy, you know, after the Big Bang, you had a rapid expansion of space and cooling and so forth. You know, with that expansion and cooling, it came in succession the different parts of our world that we're familiar with. Mm -hmm. You know, first, the forces that attract and repel mm -hmm. uh, subatomic particles and, 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 and higher order systems. Um, then the subatomic particles themselves, and then, you know, atomic nuclei, and then the, the atoms and so forth. So over time, over the first million years, say, in the history of the universe, in succession come the variety of, uh, of things that we, we associate with our world, gravity, forces, mm -hmm. and so forth. But then after that, you know, really when you think about the, the larger atoms that compose our bodies, you know, we're carbon, hydrogen, mm -hmm. and nitrogen, and so forth, oxygen. Um, those larger atomic nuclei are manufactured in the fusion reaction of stars. Mm -hmm. So again, when you see history, what you start to see is layer after layer of history inside. You know, the deepest layers to tie us to the Big Bang, the, 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 the more shallow layers or the, the more recent layers, mm -hmm. you know, tie us to the workings of uh, stars, the, uh, the solar system uh, and the planet itself. Yeah. In fact, I noticed uh, in a blurb on the back of your book from uh, Carl Zimmer, uh, he mentions that We Are Stardust is not simply uh, the lyrics to a song, but uh, basically a scientific fact. 
by yeah, today's standards. Oh, you bet. You know, we are stardust as, star, as Carl Sagan, Neil Tyson, and others say that we, you know, in our bodies, the the material composition of us and of our planet, you know, share a history with stars where the larger atoms inside of us were, were made. You know, what's interesting in, is that, you know, after we're gone, after our planet's gone, those atoms will return to the universe and be part of other worlds and other uh, star systems and so forth. So it really connects us very deeply uh, to the cosmos. You know, but for me, the stardust theme uh, that Sagan was so eloquently, you know, uh, promoting mm -hmm. back in the 80s um, was really the beginning mm -hmm. of this story. Because if you take a timeline, you know, to the origin of the planet and the solar system, uh, the workings of the planet it's, itself, you, are listening to you know, what Neil you start Shubin. to see He's is those layers of history inside of us that tie us to the physical world. You are listening to Neil Shubin. He is the author of The Universe Within, Discovering the Common History of Rocks, Planets, and People. Uh, an interesting thing he brings up in his book is how things that you assume are inevitable, are the way they have to be, are often the accidents of particular historical events that happened at some point in the past. One important event that happened about 35 years in the past is a bunch of very inspired and active um, volunteers got together to form a community radio station in Boulder, Colorado. And uh, it, KGNU is not inevitable. It has not always been here and is not guaranteed to always be here. It is here because drive after drive, year after year, listeners like you step forward and say, I don't need commercials in my radio program. I'm willing to support it to hear the kind of programming that I want to hear, like How on Earth, which has been on the air, I believe, since 1991. If you like what you're hearing, if you'd like, as a thank you gift, uh, this copy of The Universe Within, please give us a call and pledge at 303 449-4885. And if you wanted to hear about the universe within, you can get Neil Shubin's book. If you want to hear about the universe without, you can get The Hidden Reality by Brian Greene. Neil Shubin talked about the origin of our universe and the Big Bang and all the forces and chemistry within it. And in The Hidden Reality, Brian Greene talks about how there might be other universes with other Big Bangs and chemistry and things like that. You could get both of these books. You could compare your inner and outer universe. <laughs> if you call 303-449-4885 and pledge either as a new or renewing member, you can get one or both of these books, The Universe Within for 60 and Brian Greene's The Hidden Reality for 40. And Jim, I believe there's an online way they can pledge as well. KGNU.org. And of course, the old standby, 303-449-4885. We've got a host of volunteers waiting here. You know, what is the purpose of How on Earth? Well, How on Earth is your access, your accessible access, so to speak, to the universe within and without. We try to bring in these experts and and uh, bring it down so that even I can understand it. And, uh, and it's a great thing. 303-449-4885. And uh, on the chemistry front, on the universe within and without, more on uh, food chemistry, the couple books, one being Pandora's Lunchbox, How Processed Food Took Over the American Meal. One of the things I found fascinating about this book is uh, vitamins that we take, not just the supplements, but the vitamins in our food. You think maybe come from actual food, but not so much nowadays, partly because they're cheaper. Uh, for instance, vitamin D comes from grease from sheep wool. I guess that 
the sort of food stuff like. I, I, guess, I guess that is disgusting. <laughs> Vitamin C is, uh, is all sorts of chemicals. So she really raises questions. Like I Sometimes on trips I go to Subway thinking that's kind of healthy. Um, the Subway onion chicken teriyaki sandwich has about 100 ingredients, 99 of which are pretty indecipherable. That is a great book, The Pandora's Lunchbox, for an example of the high U factor. Not U as in lambs and sheep that you get the vitamin D from, but U factor, which can be so satisfying for a science book to show you what is safe to eat and what is not. And then we have The Universe Within with Neil Shubin, which I'm not sure, Chip, are you sure that this isn't part of Alan Watts? <laughs> you, we may, in retrospect, find that it really was just a, a vast uh, prologue to Alan Watts, as they say, past his prologue. And so, yes, we're just uh, warming up the mind, so to speak, for uh, the wit and wisdom of Alan Watts. Uh, as you've heard about so many of these different books, you may say there is such a broad variety of science. There are so many different scientific disciplines. How do you bring them all together? Recent decades, it's been a common critique of scientific study in academia that these disciplines, uh, they're separately encamped and deliberately isolated from each other. With such a broad scope as we find in the universe within, Neil Shubin was forced to make a foray out from his comfort zone in the field of paleontology into other disciplines of science. So I asked him how he approached such a broad interdisciplinary endeavor in our modern academic environment. You know, for me, this book was born with the fact that uh, if I wasn't a paleontologist, I'd probably have been an astronomer. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> it's always been an abiding interest of mine since my mother bought me a telescope when mm -hmm. I was 10 years old. But really, you know, I had to get out of my comfort zone mm -hmm. to write this book. I'm a paleontologist, uh, an evolutionary biologist. I work on genetics as well mm -hmm. as fossils. Um, but to talk about the workings of the solar system and the cosmos meant really doing a deep dive in the university culture itself, crossing the street, going to other buildings, talking to colleagues. <laughs> and I think, you know, when, you, when you're looking at sort of integrative science, what unites these different disciplines are questions, mm -hmm. problems. So if we in our teaching are really good about asking fundamental questions, questions, you know, fundamental problems, and then view these different disciplines, whether it's cosmology, geology, or biology, as tools to answer those questions, mm -hmm. then the unification uh, becomes much easier to achieve um, if it's problem or question-based. And for me, writing the book, it very much was that. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd bother colleagues. I'd call them up. I'd come to their office. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'd read their papers. And it was, for me, it was very enlightening. Uh, I got to see uh, different scientific cultures, uh, different ways of asking questions, different ways of answering questions, uh, different ways of testing hypotheses. Um, yet I saw a common set of themes, which are similar questions being asked in different buildings of the university, you know, in the different departments. And tell me a little bit about how you cope with being overwhelmed by the abundance of knowledge that science produces. Uh, you know, it is impossible today for there to be a Renaissance man of the type of Leonardo da Vinci or even the man of letters of the 19th or 18th century who could be an expert in many disparate branches of science. Everyone is a deep dive. How do you, how do you cope with the overwhelming amount of information? Well, it's, it's, it's very hard. I mean, actually, the, um, when, you, when I, in my, my, my week as mm -hmm. a scientist, uh, uh, we have journal clubs and lab meetings where we go through the literature and present papers to one another. Um, I force 
myself to get out of my comfort zone and to read literature outside my own field very frequently. But, you know, this brings about a great humility, and that's what science is about is humility. I mean, there are so many more unanswered questions than there are answered ones. Uh, there is so much more data out there and ideas and discoveries out there e discovered each week that I could ever wrap my head around. Mm -hmm. You know, so when you see that, you, uh, you are humble. But then again, you, if you choose your questions carefully, uh, if you take a fairly organized approach to it, um, uh, then uh, then uh, you can have a firmer grasp on this larger universe. You know, you can have, as, as Sagan would say, the candle in the dark. All right. Well, let's actually then take a moment to uh, get near to your candle, your particular field of expertise, paleontology. Um, today here on March 4th, uh, you've beaten a little bit of uh, snow weather to get here to the studio, but... Uh, Having read through most of your book, I realize that that's nothing for you. You've spent some of your field work in Greenland and not even the southern part of Greenland. Tell me about <laughs> what it is you were looking for and why maybe you couldn't have found it in Virginia Beach. <laughs> so most of my summers are spent freezing up in the Arctic mm -hmm. and have been so since 1989. And the, what takes us to the Arctic are the questions. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in the great evolutionary transformations. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was a graduate student, I was interested in how mammals evolved from reptiles. Later, as a professor, I've been interested in, you know, how fish evolved to walk, you know, how land was invaded. Mm -hmm. To answer each of those questions, we've looked for the right rocks to hold the fossils that would be intermediate uh, mm -hmm. between those transitional forms. And um, it turns out that some of the best unexplored places uh, to look are up in the Arctic, whether in Greenland or the Canadian Arctic. And we've made a specialty, a sort of a specialty of looking at Arctic rocks, mm -hmm. um, being able to run the logistic operation and to lead a camp and to really work there. It's a little different than other places. So, yeah, my wife really wonders why I don't work in Hawaii sure. <laughs> or yeah. the Caribbean. I can see that uh, And the reason is very, very logical of her. Um, and the answer is really the, um, the rocks in the Arctic are the right age and the right type mm -hmm. and of the right exposure exposed to the surface to answer the questions that I'm interested in. Well, um, since you've taken a long and arduous journey there, tell me a little bit about a, a significant find, that, something that you've actually found there and why you found it exciting and significant. Well, one of, the, one of the joys of my scientific career was uh, back in 1998 with my colleague Ted Deschler, who's in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Ted and I had an idea to find an intermediate between fish and land-living animals mm -hmm. in rocks about 375 million years old. All of those creatures that are speculated on in those far side cartoons. You bet. You bet. You know, the ones that were reaching for the baseball. And yeah. <laughs> um, Anyway, so uh, we did our search just uh, like any paleontologist would do in the, in the Internet and in the library. Uh, looking for rocks of the right age, rocks of the right type, and rocks that are exposed to the surface. And we knew the age would be about 375 million years old. And it took us to the Arctic, to the Canadian Arctic. Mm -hmm. Worked there for four seasons over six years. And uh, largely unsuccessful for the first few seasons. Then mm -hmm. in that, that sixth season, we discovered a creature that, like a fish, has scales in its back, but fins with fins, what fin webbing. But like a land-living creature, it has a neck. You know, no fish has a neck. Uh, and when you look inside the fins, it has bones that correspond to upper arm, forearm, even parts of the wrist. <laughs> you know, it has both lungs and gills. It has a flat head with eyes on top, much like an early land-living creature. A real mix uh, between fish and land-living animal. And that discovery uh, was one of those great eureka moments that, was, that came about through a, you know, six or seven years' worth of work. Um, it was incredibly rewarding, incredibly exciting for us involved in it. Um, 
And at the end of the day, we have a physical object, a fossil that I can show to you and you know, I can show to kids. Mm-hmm. And the kids would say, oh, yeah, it's part fish and part landling animal. You know, I mean, it's, it's one of those very um, – it, it speaks for itself kind of thing. Um, uh, and that to me reflects the power of paleontology, the, the power of fossils uh, to answer questions. And thanks to Chip Granditz for that interview of Neil Shubin about The Universe Within, which is a book that you can get for a $60 pledge at 303-449-4885. And we would like to thank all our listeners who have listened to Hell on Earth and all the shows on KGNU for your support for your radio station. And I believe Chip and Susan have some specific thank yous. That's right. At this very moment, I'd like to thank uh, Christine Lynn from Denver, who chose to make an additional contribution. Note, just because you've pledged once during this pledge drive, you may find yourself inspired to contribute again, as Christine did. And she took as her premium the book on the fat switch uh, and to learn what causes obesity and simple methods to fight it. And I also want to thank uh, Kathy Frazier of Boulder, who said she enjoys the show so much. Also, all morning news programs and Indian Voice on Sunday and Restless Mornings. Thank you so much. So remember, you can pledge at 303-449-4885 and get this plethora a virtual plethora, a literal plethora of books from shows from How on Earth Past. And if you want to hear any of our past shows, you can go to howonearthradio.org, and you can listen to those past shows, hear special extended features, and you can leave us requests for shows that you would like to hear and science topics you would like us to address here on How on Earth. So thank you very much for listening and for calling 303-449-4885. And thanks to the whole How on Earth crew, Chip, Susan, Jim, and Shelley, and Beth, and Ted, and everyone out there who's listening. Thank you very much.